I'm Jack, your host, and this is the Right in the Fields podcast. Whether you're a guy trying to figure out your feels in this crazy, crazy world, or you're a woman trying to solve the puzzle of why men think the way they do, well, this show is for you. This is Right in the Fields, and as usual, I am your host, Jack. We're coming close to an end for this season, and I have a very special guest. She is the guest of all guests. She is my fiance, Christine Chen, a life coach and host of the Perfectly Imperfect podcast. Hi, Christine. Hi. (laughs) Yay. Always happy to be back and having deep, meaningful conversations like we do at home. I know. We're always bringing this to life for this podcast. Now I get to record it. I get the pleasure of having you really talk about all the things that you're doing, you know, as a life coach, and you've been recently been blogging. Yeah, I have my own podcast called XOXO Christine, mm-hmm. which I haven't touched since 2019. But it's all in the baby steps, creating content, recording, editing, all it takes a lot, a lot of energy. And so proud mm-hmm. of Jack that this is, I think you recently hit a milestone, right? Yeah, 10,000 downloads. I've already surpassed it by now. But yeah, at that time when I posted it, it was a big game changer for me just because when I started this podcast, I honestly had no realistic expectations or an idea of expectations besides your podcast and your growth, which is great, you know, and you guys have been on and off with perfectly imperfect through the years. But yeah, with myself, it's it's a big milestone for me to to know that actually it's growing. (laughs) Yeah, it's huge because you started it back in January 2021. And Mm -hmm. there was a lot of growth a part of that. And it was just been amazing to be your partner and watch your journey, not only creating this baby, but for your own personal development to bring a lot of these very necessary conversations to life. So going back Mm -hmm. to my blogging, that's exactly where I'm at now, where, Mm -hmm. you know, since it does take a lot, starting with the baby steps and that's exactly what I do as a life coach so gonna do it with me too which is take baby steps and what's comfortable Mm -hmm. with you so what's comfortable for me is to share my thoughts through writing and blogging which has always been my first love I've always loved blogging a lot of what Jack and I have talked about in past episodes as well as this episode I've blogged about I've also had numerous podcast episodes about so I'm excited to jump in especially with today's topic and the holidays coming Mm -hmm. up people don't know this but your first I feel like love in creating content really started from blogging. Yeah. You had a blog before, now it's moved to your website. I, I forgot what the what the website was that that you had with your original blog. Oh my god, divorce. How dare you? <laughs> it's already, our relationship's already starting with a divorce remember. now. You can't you can't drop the D word. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think it was like peachylove.com was like my first. Yes, and then yeah, before that, I was on Blogspot and then I also Zanga. Oh, yeah, Zanga. Oh, my gosh. We're that old that Zanga is, no, is a real thing. No, you're that us. old. I am three <laughs> months younger than you. 37 years young, baby. <laughs> but people don't know this. That was your first content creation type of path. And I remember reading your blog, actually, on peachylove.com. What a stalker! I, I totally stalked you. I totally stalked you. I wanted to know what was going on in your life, if you're dating anyone. So that was kind of my way of uh, finding all the juicy details. Gross. 
<laughs> but then when I realized you just blogged about like self-development and things that you learned and I was like, oh, this is also great to know about you. <laughs> Disinterested. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that is one of the first things that you did. Beyond that, when we mentioned you as a life coach, people probably do know this because I've said this in the past. This podcast, the development of this podcast, you didn't life coach me through it, but in a way you did <laughs> life coach me through it. Not as a client, obviously, but as your partner. The reason why I was able to hit that 10,000 milestone and be here today and create this outlet. And I I say this all the time. I mean, this feels like a home to me. And you are part of that home. You you built this home with me. So having you on this podcast every single time, we've done many episodes, I think four or five at this point. A a season without you wouldn't be this podcast. So I want to thank you first and foremost for being part of that journey. And you evolving as a life coach is actually a very part of this podcast also in a weird way wow oh my god are you gonna say that in our vows <laughs> I, I, wow, I, it's like a teaser for my vows <laughs> no i mean like i said just seeing you blossom from an idea and where you started where being really unsure and obviously if you're not used to creating content it can be a lot to put yourself out there in public Mm. let alone record it and there's a sense of where all the old coping mechanisms come in of like oh perfectionism or self-sabotage or procrastination Mm -hmm. you know and then before Mm -hmm. you know it you never put out the thing and this is not just because you know it like okay I struggle with perfectionism, therefore I'm not going to do that anymore and I'm good. Like, no, it's a constant everyday choice and practice. So, you know, me being your life partner as well as me being a life coach sometimes is intertwined (laughs) and that's something I'm I'm cognizant of because (laughs) I am your fiance, but you didn't hire me as your life coach. So, but the part of it in the encouragement and the support and reminding you what is important and what are some of these tools that we can help ground you in why are you doing this in the first place you know it was never about the numbers it was never about owning anything it was just Mm -hmm. you being able to express yourself as an asian man and hoping that other men out there can connect with mental health and just expressing very normal normal emotions Mm -hmm. so so Mm -hmm. proud of you and oh my gosh it's just you know sky's the limit our reality is completely formed by our thoughts so the fact that you think you can do it and you commit to it consistently look at what you've made in less than a year that's amazing yeah, it kind of goes to that saying, if you conceive it, then you can achieve it. It really, those those sayings are always like really cheesy. But if you start to live it, it really becomes true. You become it, you know, when you think yeah. it. Because the opposite is true, right? When we think mm-hmm. all the self-critical thoughts, this is why we hold ourselves back. This is why we're afraid to go for the relationship or trust somebody or believe that we can get the job. And even as subtle as it is, it affects our actions. Because if we think Mm -hmm. that about ourselves, then we're not going to put ourselves out there. We're not going to go and say hi or make conversation or even be out there. All these little things do add up that make up your reality because that's how you see yourself. It's really creating the opportunity for growth, like everything that you think. If you start to make action, then it creates opportunities to growth. And growth comes in so many forms. Yeah. And this podcast is one of those forms. But one of the things that I realized being with you is I can have all these sensitive conversations and with the topic today it's a very sensitive topic and I couldn't think of anybody else to have on to talk about trauma intergenerational trauma family trauma that is passed down and you and I 
we've gotten to know each other really well over the 10 years we've been together. And part of the growth as a couple is understanding our traumas, which is rooted in our family. And you and I have expressed all these vulnerabilities together over this span of 10 years. And we've gotten to really understand at the core, we actually relate in many ways to some of the family trauma that we've experienced growing up. And I think many Asians can relate to some of these stories or some of these journeys that you express in your blog, you expressed in your podcast with Regina and also on your own podcast, XOXO Christine. And as a life coach too, I'm sure like as an Asian life coach, there are a whole host of people out there that can connect to your journey and your story. So this is what we're talking about today. It's, it is heavy for sure, but we were going to, we're going to try our best to bring light to these, this heaviness. Yeah. Warning. (laughs) (laughs) trigger warning alert i know i know but i think this is a really uh, needed conversation that i personally think that we should have with our friends all the time with each other Mm -hmm. because especially being asian we're taught to just sweep all these things under the rug you don't talk about it you don't want to embarrass your family you don't want to embarrass yourself Mm -hmm. and it makes people uncomfortable but quite honestly it is how we bond you start realizing it's not just you that there's a lot of healing that can take place in being able to be heard and be seen and just sharing that just makes you really feel less isolated you know which i really do think is one of the effects of poor mental health and more and more so again your thoughts consuming yourself you just kind of put yourself into like this really dark corner especially when it comes with family who can you talk to about this let alone your own parents so i'm excited is excited the right word i don't know to talk about like intergenerational <laughs> trauma but i don't know there's a lot of good information because you know listening to podcasts reading books and all of that there's a lot of stuff to talk about and i think the topic is always relevant but it's even more relevant since we're in the heart of the holidays now um thanksgiving just passed and christmas is coming up and many times during this two months more so than any point of the year you're surrounded by family and, you know, it's voluntary, obviously, we all make the choice, but in a way, it is kind of forced spending a lot of time with family. And when you have this unresolved trauma, or again, as an Asian, sometimes we're in families that really don't talk about these underlying issues or underlying problems, that they are there, you know, and we have to deal with them, whether it's externally or internally, we are faced to deal with these things during the holiday season, which is a mixed bag of emotions. And that's a really difficult thing to tackle. And I think a lot of people feel that stress around this time, even though it's on the backdrop that it should be festive. It should be the happiest time of the year. You see yeah. all these like jingle bells and all these Christmas carols. So and that's why like to bring light and it's exciting to bring light to something, even though it is heavy. And that's the excitement I, I can sense from me and you. Yes, it's not always smiles, but bringing awareness is a beautiful thing, regardless of how heavy it is. Oh my God, are we that couple? We are. We are that couple. We're excited to talk about trauma, guys. You know when you're an <laughs> yeah. adult, when you can have adult conversations about trauma. <laughs> so let's get into it. So with that said, the holidays being around, you and I are spending a lot of time with each other's family. I kind of want to get your insight and your experience with how you are with an Asian family, a typical Asian family that we all kind of have understood that we do brush things under the rug as a family do you have a particular experience with that (laughs) oh my god what is life right (laughs) so much of it is just the asian american upbringing Mm -hmm. where you fight and have arguments and they can be the worst yeah you do that for 365 days out of the year okay fine take out thanksgiving 
their birthdays mm-hmm. and Christmas, right? <laughs> Maybe sometimes even New Year's. I haven't seen my parents for New Year's for a while. But on those special days, you're supposed to come together with also extended family a lot and then put on a happy face and mm-hmm. pretend like we are the family that you want to be. But mm-hmm. 99% of the time outside of this year, we're totally not. If anything, there's a lot of unresolved emotions being dismissed completely disappointed by each other and they're all just swept underneath the rug purely for those days and i get it because sometimes with our families and stuff they're like this is what the holidays are for do you want to keep fighting even on those days so it can be very conflicting none of this is saying that we don't love our families it's just conflicting that's Mm -hmm. all we're talking about like just the inner turmoil where it feels like you have to put on a happy face when internally you're not happy at all you feel pretty empty in a room with people that you feel a, they do know you the most, but yet they know you the least. Yeah, I think it has to be said that we love our families. And we can separate the idea of constructive criticism with family mm-hmm. that isn't affected of your love for them. And I think as Asians, we always feel that, that if we criticize our family, that means we don't love them. We're exposing them for something that's bad. And a lot of the times that comes down to perception, right? Yeah. Or, or reputation. We're so afraid growing up in an Asian family that we don't want to ruin the reputation of our family, that let's not talk about these things openly. And that's the very kind of misconception I want to clear up, that when you and I talk about family, it doesn't mean we don't love them. It doesn't mean we love them less. In many ways, we're trying to express how much we do love them by talking about these things that we want to get healthier with in our families and that's one of those things brushing things under the rug i've had a whole lifetime of that you too i've had so many family holidays or it doesn't even have to be a family holiday you have huge fights and nothing ever gets resolved you just pretend like it never happened yeah and somebody brings you food and that's their way of saying let's just get over this you know let's move on to the next day because what's the point of bringing up these turmoil feelings these emotions that we can express mm-hmm. outside of really strong anger or screaming, whatever the, the picture is for each of us, you know, in our families. And that's the thing that f- has frustrated me the most over many years, that this is the trauma that we're trying to break. And I, and I realized this when I was looking more and more deep into family trauma, that there's, there's actually many degrees of intergenerational trauma that is passed down. But when we're going to focus on today is really, at least for me, is the emotional toll or the emotional miscommunication based on trauma because of past generations, they have not done that. Mm-hmm. And that's very true for me. And I, I know it is true for you. And maybe you can kind of tell us how for you it has been and not being able to emotionally express yourself or have your family emotionally express themselves in a healthy way. Yeah, defining trauma in itself, because there's like Mm. big trauma, there's little trauma, but trauma doesn't have to be just like physical abuse. Because a lot of people are like, well, I don't have trauma. Everyone's affected by trauma. Trauma is just any long-term effect that's related Mm. to several factors, including the nature Mm. of your stress response, as well as the intensity and pattern of that response. So Mm -hmm. like it's the internal experience of that trauma that varies from person to person. So you and your siblings can be in the same family dynamic, but both 
experience that trauma totally different. They have totally different coping mm-hmm. styles. Like my brother is very avoidant. I'm very in your face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is your stress response and how you learn to deal mm-hmm. with that over the years and the long-term effect it has on you. Mm-hmm. Trauma can also be formed from like quieter and less obvious experiences like being humiliated or shamed or any other type of emotional abuse by your parents. That's something I think a lot of us are very familiar with. Some of the stats are like, it's been estimated that child adversity plays a major role in 45% of all childhood Mm. mental health disorders and 30% of mental health disorders among adults. These estimates are consistent Mm. with other studies that show increased risk for major depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, and other psychotic disorders following childhood trauma or adverse child experiences. So in other words, the more adversity that you've had in your childhood, the greater your risk is for health problems, which correlates to risk for suicide, mental health problems, substance abuse, and dependence. So this explains why we are the way that we are, Mm. you know, and you don't have to fall in all those categories where you're like, I'm not suicidal, nor I don't abuse substances. Yeah, but these mental health, I think it's just the invisible pain that you feel, the scars that you feel, but are very much hindering who you are and who you can be. So a lot of that is wrapped up in how we were brought up and the misconceptions or what I like to call the false truths that we've based our Mm. whole identity on. And so much of it is how you see your role in the family growing up. And it totally makes sense when you read about it and you learn more about it. When we're kids, basically our entire worlds are caregivers, which usually is our parents, right? They could also be your grandparents, whoever took care of you and and raised you. As our small childlike brains are developing, Mm. we jump to a lot of conclusions based off of our basic needs and how we perceive our reality Mm. around us. So if we are not comforted or if we're pushed aside or our parents punish us for all these things, we start making a lot of these conclusions because we don't feel safe, nor do we feel comfortable Mm -hmm. or secure, which are all the basic needs. And that's when you start forming your own identity of, especially if you think back when you're a kid, that it's like, oh, there's something wrong with me. Because when you're a kid, you don't know any better. You automatically think just from your brain, your primitive brain, it's about you. Oh, I'm not enough. I'm not sweet enough. Especially when our parents, our Asian parents tend to compare us to everybody. It's always like, mm-hmm. I'm not enough for what? Love, acceptance, for them to be proud, yeah. all these things. So that was pretty much my childhood. And even now where it shaped my world, mm-hmm. my brain started to have confirmation bias and form that perspective of the world that I'm not enough. I'm actually an inconvenience mm-hmm. that I bother my parents. I shouldn't have needs. And if anything, if I want to keep this family together, if I want to feel love, basically I always felt like our world might fall apart because we have so many fights. My mom was dealing with postpartum depression. She also had the same thyroid, hyperthyroid problem that I did. Mm-hmm. And there were immigrants here. They were starting their life from scratch. You can imagine how difficult that was. So all of that yeah. made me conclude that my roles were I'm the fixer. I'm also the oldest. Mm-hmm. I should fix, mm-hmm. ignore my own needs. And I eventually became a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good way to explain the different abuses or different traumas that we feel. And it doesn't always have to be something extreme. It can be accumulation of a lot of small things. Like, for example, in many Asian families or just in many families, when we deny or we minimize, if your parents minimize or deny your emotions, 
that can be tied to emotional abuse. Because over a span of a course of your life, your childhood, especially in this development, in just very impressionable developmental stages, you realize as an adult or when you become more aware how emotionally undeveloped yeah. you are and how that affects your whole life. It affects your love life. It affects your, your relationships with your friends, you know, of course, Work. family. And just people that you meet yeah. work exactly so this is the th stuff that we're talking about with asian families and you and i i think we can definitely relate um, from all our talks about our families my family also so what we're talking about today really is mental health the concept of mental health and the immigrant generation and this is how family trauma or generational trauma can be passed down it's the absence of the idea and concepts of talking about mental health and you and I, I think we share in that experience that our parents didn't really talk about mental health or they're not as aware or even strongly aware at, by any means of this. And they don't have experience in that space or understanding what it means. And I think for you and I, this is, the, this is where the conversation really takes place is really understanding what our parents, their lack of resources, understanding this, how it's passed down to us. So for you, when did you start becoming aware of the lack of this mental health in your family? I would say when I started doing this self-development inner work, and it's just been a journey. I think that started off in my early 20s. Oh, I've talked about like Oprah and reading books at that time and starting to reflect. And then for sure, when I went through my deep depression five, six years ago, it made me stop and have to face that mental health is real. Up until that point, quite honestly, I don't think I had the words. What I thought about mental health, I think, was very much in line with the stigmas associated with how we were brought up. Only people who really are mentally ill need to go see a therapist. Depression, what is that? If you bring that word up with our parents, it's like, what do you mean? You just suck it up. Everyone gets sad every once in a while. That is a stereotype. That's not true. <laughs> That's not the definition yeah. of depression. Mm -hmm. When I learned more about depression, it was kind of the gateway for me to start talking about that with my parents. And they were like, oh, do you think we're depressed? I'm like, yes. Oh my mm. God. I, I really genuinely think that this has been passed down. And there's studies about that where generational trauma, a lot of it is where it's like cultural too or environmental. Mm. No one ever talks about that. The roles that each of you guys play in the family as a woman, as a man, as the oldest, as whatever, how they suck it up, how they brush things underneath the rug or physical abuse. So much of that is normalized in our upbringing yeah. that that's what you think of how our parents a lot of times how they taught us is how their parents taught them and mm -hmm. so on and so forth it's just no one ever stopped to be like is there a better way that's why our generation is different because we have access to so much information and we can communicate yeah. with one another so and there's more information there's more studies about mental health this is why you have the opportunity to break this generational cycle mm -hmm. and it's not easy this is why i say to my clients no. all the time like this is probably why nobody in your lineage or maybe that you know of ever really did this work because it takes mm -hmm. so much to be like i'm working on myself and trying to heal parts of me that were wounds caused by your own family members, by the people that you love, and then sit in a room during the holidays and be happy about it. You know, and it's not just because mm -hmm. you know this or you've talked to your therapist about it or you've read a book that you're like, okay, I can separate the two. I can be a better person for me and for my family. And therefore, whenever my mom criticizes me, I'm not going to just lash out. Well, guess what? You still will, right? Because it's 
so much ingrained into your brain because it's been a pattern of association. So your brain from a young age has seen that interaction or trigger by your parents and seen it as a threat to you. So throughout your entire life, your brain's gotten really good of picking up like, oh shoot, mom's tone is being like this. Oh, I know what she's going to say now. Like She knows that I hate it when she says that. And then before you know it, even when you are trying to work on the tools of drawing boundaries, taking a step back, grounding yourself, all of that is still really hard, but it takes consistency just like exercising right you can't expect yourself to be suddenly strong and run a marathon because you decided to like you know i'm gonna run a mile today (laughs) you know it just takes that type of mental fortitude and training for that strength and healing work Mm -hmm. so generational trauma a lot of it too is what i've learned in reading books like you know it didn't start with you adult children of emotionally immature parents what happened to you and listening to various podcasts and videos you learn that even when you're an egg in your mom's womb all of her stress get transferred onto you so how she deals with fear trauma all of that the dna gets imprinted into your dna and it gets transferred mm-hmm. even as fundamental as that it does feel like you don't have a lot of control over it which is why it takes a lot of work what i realized in my own journey of awareness of the generational trauma passed down and even in my own family it's like gaslighting not being able to regulate your own emotions disassociation deep depression mm. anxiety mental mm. physical emotional abuse or manipulation never being able to truly resolve issues with each other a strict family hierarchy codependency mm. minimizing or dismissing your experiences because they don't think it's a big deal pushing through, sucking it up as means of coping, narcissism, Mm -hmm. comparisons. Like it just keeps going on. And this is why it's like no one in the family ever questioned this. This is stuff that my 98-year-old grandmother still does Mm. to her 70, 60-year-old kids. Yeah, it doesn't end. Right? I mean, I've shared so much of that with you. And then you're like, oh my God, I can't believe your grandma's mind is as alert as it is, but she's still- She's still as sharp as ever. Yeah, she's still like (laughs) mental manipulating all over the place. That stuff just, it just keeps getting passed down because what she does is that she uses like fear. She uses favoritism. The same things that I see in my dad is what she's done, which is she'll threaten to cut you off. And that's what my dad goes to. And I could see for me as a reaction in the past with my dad is then I'm going to cut you off. The chaos is comfortable and normal to me because I grew up in that household versus to somebody who's never grown up in an environment like that with all these things to them. They may be like, whoa, whoa, that's not cool. There's certain things that with Jack and I being observers of each other's families we will just be like, whoa, whoa, I didn't grow up with that. That's weird or different to me. But you being in that family, you're like, oh, really? I don't know. That's what we've always been. Yeah, this is like everyday life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It goes without saying that for a lot of Asian Americans that you are the pioneer in your family in understanding these concepts. And being a pioneer comes with a whole host of honestly negatives because you're presenting new ideas to an older archaic way of thinking that has been passed down through generations before them. That example that you made of your grandma with your dad and then your dad to you, you as being older and aware, you understand the links in that. You observe the behavior, yeah. why your dad, why, how your mom treats your dad and how your dad has passed that down to you and how you have passed that through your interactions in your life. And you've seen the negative effects of that. And that is 
just the definition of two, three degree link. And we're not even looking back at your mom, your grandma's mom or dad and before that. And a lot of that is tied to historical trauma, right? People who go through war, people who go through famine or or natural disasters that cause trauma and survival type thinking, right? Fight or flight. And this, at the end of the day, when we're talking about is a lot of it is cultural, um, which comes down to environment. So if we're raised in the U.S., Asian Americans, but our parents grew up in Asia, there is a disconnect there. We have two different realities, two different belief systems that we're adopting. And the resources are different, as you mentioned. So being a pioneer and trying to change or trying to start a dialogue within your family, you're going to get a lot of pushback. Mm because they're not used to that way of thinking. And when you're trying to present a new way of thinking or a new set of beliefs, or for a family that might be stubborn and used to not talking about these things openly, sometimes it feels like there's going to be no win situation. Yeah. And I, I, I guess with our families, speaking very personally, especially for you and for myself, that we've hit that wall a lot of times with our family. And, and, it, and it's painful. And I think that's the next question is, when you hit that wall with your family, when the conversation doesn't really go anywhere and you're trying, you tell them about these new ideas that you have or, or, or trying to shift the way they think and the way they communicate, how do you respond or how do you feel when you hit that wall? I'm still in the process of shifting the focus from them to me, mm. where so much of it was if my parents just had more self-awareness, if they weren't like this, why do they always have to react that way, etc.? But through my own healing journey, I realized there's a lot of things that I do and I've done that I do not like and I'm not proud of. Mm -hmm. Having more understanding as to why I am the way that I am. So I can trace it back to me being a people pleaser, having Mm -hmm. perfectionism, self-sabotage. All of it just goes back to fear of rejection and how I deal with things is to minimize that rejection. I just want to be loved, right? I just Mm -hmm. want to be heard. When I was a kid, what I really wanted to hear was, I love you, I'm proud of you. As I'm not understanding the emotions that are going on in my body or if I'm throwing a temper Mm -hmm. tantrum, what I really wish is that my parents would just been like, hey, what's going on? It's okay that you feel these things. Let's talk about it. Why is the onus on them? Because they're the adults. You're a child. You're not expected to take care of other people. You're not expected to regulate your own emotions. These are things that we learn from our parents. And I think that's the Mm -hmm. thing about Asians and Asian parents is part of not being able to talk about anything is the fear of being wrong. And then once you say those words or you admit it or you say, I'm sorry, it just makes you look weak. Mm -hmm. That's just, Mm -hmm. again, the generational trauma or cycle that gets passed on. Like, these are your parents. They have ultimate right and say, they are like gods. They sacrifice everything for you. You're welcome. And this Western mentality, which I'm starting to embrace more, is I appreciate that. Two things can be true. I can appreciate the sacrifices and everything that you made to give me a better life. But also, dude, that was your job. Mm -hmm. You feeding me, you giving me a roof over my head. That's stuff that you should be doing as an adult. Mm -hmm. Where I am right now, I'm learning to draw boundaries to work on myself and heal the parts of me that feel like I need external validation. What I've learned about boundaries is that it helps give me that safe space to work on me, to understand and form the connections as to why am I like that? Why do I have to say such mean and horrible things back to my parents? Why can't I just let it go? Yeah. (sighs) 
when you're Asian,、mm-hmm. you don't think like that because the basic thing is that they've given us so much for the rest of our lives. We, we're never allowed to say no or draw boundaries. There's this guilt and shame almost hardwired into all of this, which makes you feel like you're a bad child.、Mm-hmm. But the most loving thing that we can do is to draw boundaries and understand that. Boundaries are adjustable. The reframe is how can I do this for me、mm-hmm. and not to change my parents.、Yeah. So if I want to tell my parents about how I'm feeling, the new goal now, and you can read this from the book Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, is that I'm not going in there with the expectation for my mom to understand me or to agree with me.、Mm-hmm. The goal is just purely for me to communicate and say what I'm feeling, and then that's it. So when She doesn't understand me, then that's just what it is. That's okay. The goal is just to focus on that step、mm-hmm. because you know everything on their end you can't control. You know that, so that's why boundaries, creating that safe space, doing this inner work by yourself by getting a therapist, a life coach, all of that is for yourself to work on the things about you. And from that space, when you slowly have more understanding and compassion for yourself, you heal the parts of your past traumas. All the things that you're looking for from your parents, which is wanting to be heard,、mm-hmm. wanting them to be proud, you can learn to give it to yourself. So, therefore, when you step back into the relationship with your parents, you're not that same person as before, where it's not the same triggers,、yeah. and you're able to have better tools to then ground you to your evolved self now and work from it at that point. And you'll see the ripple effect,、mm-hmm. where your parents start seeing like, oh wow. Okay, usually she says something really mean, you know,、mm-hmm. or usually she does this. But I notice a difference. Even in the energy, is different. You're more confident. You don't feel you have to overexplain. I'm a total overexplainer, so I've been、mm-hmm. working on that. Therefore, I don't need that validation from you because I already know that I am a good daughter. I am a good person. I love and care about you. I don't have to show it in the same ways that you demand and expect me to.、Mm. Mm. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to unearth in in what you just said. I think first and foremost, establishing boundaries as an Asian child or children to an Asian parents, immigrant parents, it's very hard because I've struggled through this, and you of all people know that the most is yeah we've been conditioned or I have been conditioned to believe that boundaries shouldn't be drawn. Because when you do draw boundaries, it means that you're not appreciative. Because the love that they give you supposedly is unconditional, right? They sacrifice all、yeah. this because of the unconditional nature of their love. But the problem is, it's not true. They can love you、yeah. unconditionally, but they put conditions onto the love. If you don't act accordingly based on them, they might at the baseline love you, right? But their actions and what they say to you. Doesn't reflect that love. That if you don't act in line, they punish you. Whether it's not validating you, or just ostracizing you, or criticizing you, this is something that goes against unconditional love, and you develop trauma based on it. And another aspect is dialogue. If you spend most of your childhood life not having a dialogue with your parents and them just dictating things to you, and then you carry that to your adult life. Where it's the same thing, you are not going to have a safe space to learn and grow. That's at the heart of、yeah. it. Evolution is about dialogue and conversation. If so, if you're just talking to a wall and they're not taking anything in and they're just spitting out the same thing to you, do this, do that, do this, do that. Why are you thinking that? That doesn't make sense. 
and you are trying to grow and evolve in a certain way, you yourself won't develop that ability to grow in this environment. And I think that's what we struggle with the most. We can't grow and flourish in the environment. And what establishing boundaries is, is making that definition to grow and developing the future and pathway to grow. And a lot of us struggle with this. We want to fix our parents because we feel like we've learned new tools or new knowledge to pass to them. But when they resist, it hurts us and it puts us back into that default state, into that childlike state that we start to become reactionary. Like we fight, just like when we were when we were kids, yelling at them as they might yell at us. And what comes of it? It's the same. We have not evolved. Maybe they do take in some of it. When you told your parents that you were diagnosed with depression and you were taking antidepressants, when you told them, they were like, oh, wait, are we depressed? That has become a dialogue. But it took that extreme for them to understand and start to maybe even be incepted with the idea of having a conversation about mental health. And that's really heavy if you really think about it. It has to be those kind of extremes for them to be like, oh, wait, you know, if my daughter is depressed, maybe, 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 and she's telling us these are the symptoms of her depression, maybe I am. That's just something that I have struggled with in my life. Like when I first mentioned to my mom that, and it took a lot that I'm going to seek therapy, that I have been going to seek a therapist. She reacted very negative to it. She almost didn't even know how to respond because it's so foreign to her. As you said earlier in this episode, like when we talk about psychiatry or therapist, our parents go to, or my parent goes to, oh my God, whatever is wrong with you must be really bad. And for you to seek help, I don't know how to handle that. Her place in in how to help me, she has no concept of how to do it. She just knows if I need to seek a doctor, then it must be really bad. And she panics. Mm -hmm. The idea of panicking and not being able to help her son shuts her down. Instead of encouraging me and asking more questions, she questions it because she doesn't have an understanding of it. Talk about generational trauma that's passed down to you. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. your family freaks out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and panics. They freak out. I freak out. (laughs) Your mom definitely was just like, why? I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. And it felt like a rejection at the time. That I was vulnerable Mm -hmm. to finally tell her, this is happening in my life and I'm trying to make a change and I'm hurting and I'm seeking help for that. And it wasn't given back to encourage me. Not that I was expecting that fully, but at the heart of it, you do want your parents to encourage you or, or be there for you in that way. But sometimes the reality is it's an unrealistic expectation where we might be setting ourselves up for failure because if you look at how history dictates how your relationship with your parents, why do we have that expectation? Should we even have that expectation? Because the proof is always in the pudding. If someone doesn't show that over a course of time, then why would you expect it? To fix your parents, it's a very faulty statement. It's it's a heavy thing to do. And I think it's unrealistic to want to fix your parents. And you always say this to me. Um, the idea of parenting your parent. This is something that we both have encountered at this stage of our life when we have begun to start to parent our parent. And it is infuriating. Yeah. Okay, when you say that, it means you've reached this point of your adult life Mm -hmm. where your elderly parents, and not all of you guys obviously have parents that are like this, Mm. but Jack and I happen to do, where they make really questionable decisions, (laughs) right? (laughs) 
And the more inner work that you're doing, the more information that you have about mental health, it actually starts making sense because so much of it, they start almost reverting back to their childhood. They start to reveal where in time they've been stunted Mm -hmm. emotionally and mentally. So when they argue, they say certain things that are so childish that you're like, yeah, that's that's what a five-year-old would say. Mm. You start recognizing a lot of that, even outside of the emotional and mental. Sometimes they just make really stubborn decisions that you're like, why would you make that even more difficult for everybody? I don't mm. even understand how that makes sense. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, but you're going to drive here and you're going to pick up your brother and you're going to do that. And you're just like, or you can just drive yourself. <laughs> you know? It's just like, oh, the thing with my dad, it's like, he never goes to the doctor. Mm. Going to the doctor has literally, this is currently what we've been going through and shout out to my brother who's been literally making his doctor's appointments with him and going with him to every doctor's appointment just to make sure that he goes. And the man has cancer. Mm -hmm. So you can see how his avoidance, his entire life of going to the doctor and my grandpa, his own dad was a doctor. So maybe Mm -hmm. that's all tied in, right? He is just like a child. He'll make excuses to get out of things and not do things and the Oh, I've been to many doctor's appointments with him and the doctors are like, I don't know how to make this any clearer. (laughs) If you want to live, you have to take this medicine. You have to do this. When you think about it, it's like when we were kids being really afraid of getting shots. Mm -hmm. Yes, they can still be scary because they can still hurt. But as a grown adult, especially as you get vaccinated and all these shots, you're like, it hurts for that second, but you know it's for the betterment yes. of you. It's going to help you. Mm-hmm. That's the difference when you actually mature. <laughs> and you can see. So I think that comes with when we say parenting our parents mm-hmm. and finding that fine line of this is where I've been working on it by myself and boundaries has helped a lot. I've shared this with Jack. I've shared this with my clients. I share this with my brother. It's that you cannot fix your parents you cannot and this goes for everyone you cannot take away the lessons that are meant for each person mm-hmm. meaning if your parents are making decisions that you don't agree with you just gotta let them learn that lesson or face the consequences of those decisions and it may even work out who knows right because we think we know but we may not know mm-hmm. either one of the hardest things is watching someone you love fail yeah. or potentially fail mm-hmm. You are not their parent. They're capable, grown adults. Mm -hmm. They're choosing, consciously choosing. And sometimes, yes, it's unconsciously because so much of us live in the unconscious. So it's reactionary, right? But even if they're fighting tooth and nail for something that totally doesn't make sense to you, you cannot be the fixer. You cannot fix things for your parents. You cannot take on the responsibility for your parents and shoulder on their responsibility, hoping that they'll learn or that, this will make their lives easier. It's kind of like, and of course there are caveats and exceptions to this. It's kind of like the kid that goes to college, is in the college dorm, and every week tells their parents or their mom to come do their laundry for them. Mm. And then they'll be like, oh man, I'm so stressed. Don't you know I have a test? Oh, you've always done this. Are you really going to say no? Right? And you keep going and you do the laundry for them. And you're like, okay, okay, if I take this on, maybe then, okay, you'll get through this period of time or maybe this will be better for you. You don't have to worry. You're getting older, Mm -hmm. et cetera, right? But what ends up happening is that like that kid, they'll probably never need to learn how to do their own laundry. And you're going to be a six-year-old mom doing laundry for your kid until the day you're like, no, here, I can teach you. I can guide you. You can call me anytime you have questions, right? But I am not going to go and do the physical act for you just because you're being a baby about it. 
I know that's a little bit of tough love, but that's currently where I'm at. Mm. And it's hard because I feel the guilt. I feel the shame. I really do feel like, wow, you're such a shitty daughter. But that's the part where then I move from that default unconscious thought to the conscious attentive thought of, okay, but what's my truth now? Mm. And why am I doing this? And grounding myself in that and not letting my nervous system get all discombobulated mm-hmm. because I'm like, oh my God, that means that they're not going to love me. That means that I'm going to be alone and abandoned. Like I know that's not true. Yeah. When you go into that reactionary state and it, it's a mindset, you start to process these thoughts and you actually have a physical reaction a lot of times, the anxiousness is and the feeling of unease inside is kind of like a physical reaction. You know, your heart beats faster. I feel those things. And you always drop this nugget to me, codependency, right? Codependency is part of trauma. And I very much am involved in that with my family. But establishing boundaries in codependency is a very scary notion because I don't know what boundaries to establish, but I need to start establishing them to let my parents grow on their own. Because once I start to develop and I want to help my family, I want to make things healthier within the bounds of my family, then there comes the pushback. But if I don't understand my own place in it, then I will become lost. And in that being lost, it triggers all these things, which at the end of the day, I have to remind myself to take a step back, to set the boundary. Because when I notice that I'm in this reactionary state, and all the, all the triggers are coming to place. The way that I talk, the way that I think, the way that I communicate, especially with you around, that you see how I communicate with my family. If I don't bring that awareness and have rational thought that grounds me, then I'm always going to be stuck in that cycle of codependency as one of them. And that's the hardest thing to do. Yeah, I mean, an example of that is Jack used to drop everything and panic because his mom would call insistently or text them and it would be like hey can you help me revise this email yeah she's a teacher and then she's like emailing parents she panics Mm -hmm. so then jack panics and jack's like whatever i'm doing wherever i am right now i need to call her back right now i need to do this right now that's the codependency where it's just off balance and Everybody has different thresholds. So whatever my threshold is, I'm not saying like, oh, you guys, if you're doing stuff for your parents, that's wrong. That's trauma. It's like you get to know yourself on this journey. And for me, a key component that I scaled on the spectrum of it being unhealthy was that I developed a lot of resentment Yes. because it would just Mm -hmm. stack on, stack on, stack on. Because it's not just one email. Like, for example, for my mom, she'd always be like, you're basically her IT person, which is now my brother. So every little thing. And you're like, I've showed you this like a million and one times. Can Mm -hmm. you, can you take notes? Mm -hmm. Can you, (laughs) you can learn this yourself. I believe in you. And she could do a lot of things, but it's easier just to ask you, mm. right? And I get that where it's not that big of a deal, right? But if you start feeling like, oh man, if I don't do this, and then it starts stacking up. Can you take my car? Can you take it for a check-in? Oh, can you help me pay my bills here? Can you do this for me? When they're all capable of doing it themselves, you just got to know your own threshold and you got to know how it's affecting you. Because maybe you're the type of person that's like, I could do all that and I'm good. Mm-hmm. I don't feel resentment. I feel great hey, then I'm definitely not talking to you about this. But that's what I realized that from the resentment, I would start lashing out. It would come out in other ways. And then I would be like, why was I like that? It's because of all these things I didn't communicate. And that even if I did communicate, 
we haven't gone to that level with my parents where they can take it in without feeling triggered themselves because they take it personally. Their egos are like, who are you to tell me? Oh my God, well, I don't need you anyways. And the greatest fear is always, well, you know what? You're not part of this family anymore. Mm-hmm. That's their go-to thing. Or my dad's go-to thing. My mom just, oh, you don't, you don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go there with her. So for me, it was like, okay, if they're mm-hmm. incapable of having this mature exchange like with jack and i we we create a safe space so we definitely don't agree all the time but then we can hear each other out but you need a really safe space to be able to cultivate that to have someone really listen to you and for you to listen to them without you inserting yourself and making it about you Mm -hmm. and it's really hard to do with family yes because a lot of times what they do is they make it about them when you bring up things, they, it turns to them. Like, you should be doing this because I think this or this is what's best for you. And that's the part yeah. where you get stuck in that cycle again. Where you're like, wait, you just made this about what you want for me, but I'm telling you something else. Yeah. And it's like the history since you were a kid. Mm-hmm. And they always have, <laughs> guess, the winning card, yes. which is like, I'm your parent. Yep. Yep. So that you, you can, quote unquote, never win, which is... Again, knowing it's not about winning. It's a lose-lose situation for both parties, right? Because if you're never able to talk about it, then these emotions, I'm telling you, these emotions do not go away. They seep out in other areas of your life indirectly. So if you start learning about that, you can start connecting the dots as to why you might be toxic within your friend group or why you may be more demanding, more clingy, or you're afraid to take a risk and go for the job that you actually want. And you stay in this really shitty ass job that makes you a shitty ass person. You know, all these things, it makes so much sense when you're able to connect the dots. Yeah, I just thought of this analogy and I, and I always viewed going through this journey, especially with family trauma or generational trauma like this. It's, a, it's like a video game, let's say Mario or, or any other RPG game where you're going around, you're collecting these potions, you're collecting these skills, you know, you're strengthening your character and you have to defeat all these little, these, those smaller bosses along the way. And in that, you're learning lessons, you're getting stronger. And all these smaller bosses are kind of like little traumas in your life. You're starting to resolve them. You're starting, whether it's going to seek therapy or having a a good close group of friends that you can communicate to. You're building these skills of communication and and vulnerability. And it's all leading you to fight the final boss. And this final boss likely is your parents because they are, a lot of the times, the source of your trauma. But the, the trick is, you're actually not supposed to fight the final boss. <laughs> and that's what I always got caught in. I always thought I had to defeat the final boss, which is to fix my parents. Mm-hmm. If I fix my parents, then all will be good. That all the lessons I learned, I will have solved for these people that I love. Honestly, that is, first of all, a huge weight that only when you're, if your parents want to listen to you or want to seek guidance or want to have that conversation of growing, because if they don't, then there's no point in doing it. And that's when they set their boundary. And if they set your boundary, their boundary, just like how you would want them to respect your boundary, you have to respect theirs and be like, well, if you want to think that way, then that's on you. Yeah. Actually, I would say the final boss is yourself. Oh, you're right. Yeah. I mean, Dang, that's why you're a life coach. <laughs> well, I mean, that's through the lessons I've been learning, mm-hmm. right? Because 
all your triggers, how you're feeling, are just more information about you. Mm-hmm. The world that you create around you, including your relationship with your parents. And of course, this isn't saying that they don't contribute to it. You're not just dissolving them. They're like, well, they are like that. I'm not just making up in my head, right? But how you respond to them. Deep down, what are you looking for? Mm-hmm. Like really getting down to the center core of, I just want to belong. I never felt like I belonged even in my own family. This is why I'm always searching for that in a relationship, in a friend group, at work. Family is a huge pool and source of information for you on your own journey of healing the old parts of you as well as continuing to evolve into a better version of yourself. And let me just say this. It's totally 1 million percent okay to outgrow the values and programming of our families and culture. Yeah. You don't have to value the same things that we're brought up in and consistently hammered even now into our heads. Yeah. It was what our family values, this is what you should be, this is what you should do. That's why you feel conflicted. Yeah. That is why you feel stuck. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that is again what we're taught in our family, which is you suppress that confliction. You know, yeah, it is you. Everybody else in the family's fine. Look at your cousin. Look how great she is. And she suppressed all her feelings, you know? <laughs> no, I'm telling you, that's not true. And just look at your parents. Look at your aunts and uncles. Look mm-hmm. at the consequences of not dealing with mental health. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, oh, they're bad and all of that. It's just for us to learn and do better for ourselves and for the next generation. So when you have kids or your nieces and nephews grow up, you don't want them to go through the same thing of having to be anxious, stressed out, depressed, potentially suicidal, all these things, because it was never their fault to begin with. It was never your fault. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. as a child should have been loved unconditionally. It's okay that you had feelings. It's okay that you through temper tantrums. It's okay that you didn't know. It's okay that mm. you made mistakes or quote unquote failed in school, etc. You didn't live up to expectations. You're a child. Well, this is what I say to my clients all the time. Think of if you were looking at a three, four, five-year-old child, even all the way up to high school, we'd look at 18 and like we're 37. We look at 18, you're like, dude, you're still such a baby. Yeah and you're putting adult expectations onto them, it doesn't make any sense at all. Especially the more that you learn about science, how your brain works, mm-hmm. all of that. You have compassion for these kids. If anything, if they throw a temper tantrum, as the grown adult in the relationship, you want to bring them comfort. I know there's a point where you're like, well, you don't want to spoil them. And our parents, there's discipline and there's a place for that. I get it. But it doesn't always have to be that way. Yeah. There's so many other different parenting techniques that actually help the child form and be proud of their own identity and not feel so constricted, not feel like within themselves there has to be fear and insecurity in order to be loved and accepted. And then you grow into adults running the country, contributing to society and perpetuating all this trauma onto each other. That's exactly what we do. We just keep projecting all of our hurt shame, trauma Mm. onto each other, which is why I'm bringing it back to our parents. And when you're working with them and dealing with them as you're growing and healing yourself, you get to a point, you actually start to see that their reactions are coming from a place of trauma too. Yeah. Again, you can both feel empathy for them, but also see that's not a healthy balance for me. Mm. I don't want to perpetuate that anymore in my life personally and you get to decide Mm -hmm. you have the right to decide what type of person what type of life you want to live and how your energy affects other people can you be 
a mechanism and a force for change that can help bring light out from other people versus causing trauma. Yeah. No, that's really powerful. And I liked what you said about the final boss being yourself because along this journey, we're learning, right? Our parents brought us here for a reason, to be raised in America. And it's very different than the way they were raised because they want to provide opportunity. And part of the opportunity is also what we're learning and what we're talking about on this episode today. It's the understanding of mental health and how to apply those things for ourselves. And when we get to a point where we can understand the, the traumas of our past and even link it to our own childhood and link it to our parents' childhood and how they react as adults, this is all a connection or interlinked way of looking at lives before us and li- lives of us in the present that it's not about necessarily fixing your parents it's really about what it takes to nurture yourself all these examples that we've referenced mm-hmm. not feeling validated not not getting that as a child being blamed when we weren't supposed to be blamed because we were just children it all harkens back to the point that we start to develop that in our own minds. That's the story that we tell ourselves. It's our parents' voice. It's the trauma of our parents' parents of the past that we become that for ourselves. We become that toxic voice inside. And in that, we realize how much it takes to counter it and become a nurturing force for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's the hardest thing that I've realized to do in my life. How do I become the nurturer for myself? Take away my parents. You know, they are their own people that I have no control over. I have influence, but it's their life and they have to make these their own decisions of what they want to do with it. But how do I become that nurturer for myself in the backdrop of not having that as a child? And this is the hardest boss to conquer, but the most worthy to reach. Wow, that sounds like a fortune cookie. <laughs> <laughs> I am Asian, so it, it makes a lot of sense to, to put that. The most worthy to reach. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's the most rewarding because you actually have control over that. Of all things in this world where we legitimately have no control, but we try to force control, mm-hmm. the one thing you do have control, and it's a learned skill, and it takes a lot of time and energy. And again, if you're spending this energy babysitting, caring for other people who actually don't want it, turn that energy onto yourself. Each day, we only have a certain amount of energy. Yeah. So this amount of work takes a lot of energy. You come out the other side being a better person, not only for yourself, but for everyone around you, including strangers you have yet to meet. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of it, where when you get to that point, then you actually start to release everything that held you on and burdened you and... You carry that weight around. It may all make sense why we are the way that we are. It makes sense why our parents are the way that they are. And that's how I see it where Mm. they really have sacrificed so much. And I'm not going to take away from them that they did try in their own ways. I want to take it a step further. Mm. Given the resources and tools that I have access to now. That's why if you're doing any of this work or any of this is resonating with you, Jack said this earlier, but you really are a pioneer. You you were the first in your family to do this work, to yeah. break the cycle so that this stops, yeah. this pain, this 
earning your love, feeling like you're not enough, you know, we can start working at that. And your kids, future kids don't have to feel that way. Yeah. As we wind down this episode, I did want to ask you this. For your future, for your own mental health future, how do you foresee building it? I know you have been, but what are the tools or what are the the lessons you've learned that you will apply, like moving here on and forward? And as you continue to have to deal with family. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, a lot of it from my own journey is first reading about it, hearing about it, resonating with the pain and being Mm -hmm. heard in that sense. But then when I actually started doing it in my own life, that's when it's hard because you're like, oh, well, let me just have a conversation with my parents and let them be heard and all of that. That's when a lot of people, including myself, felt like we were regressing Mm -hmm. in our progress. But actually, it's actually the exact opposite. It shows that it's working. You're Mm -hmm. watering your garden because you're creating that awareness. You're starting to see, oh, wow, I do get really mad when she says that. Then I feel this or my mom does that. And you start seeing things that you didn't see before, which is why you feel triggered all the time. Mm -hmm. As you practice more of these tools, which what I do now is it took me a really long time, but i am been establishing boundaries maybe for the past couple years more and more so and like i said they're adjustable and they're different than the boundaries that my white therapist has suggested Mm. you know i'm like no i can't just tell them if you don't do this and then i'm just gonna hang up on you or i'm gonna leave the conversation or i'm not gonna you're not gonna have me in my life i'm like dude if i said that my dad would be like go my mom be like get out of here i don't want you this is exactly why you're a crappy daughter it's funny but not funny at the same time it's not funny exactly so a lot of boundaries I first didn't even communicate it with them. I just told it within myself. Mm. I'm just like, okay, if mom starts criticizing me or inserting these low digs in the conversation, I'm just going to be like, hey, I have to get off the phone. I'm going to stop that right then and there. Mm. I'm not going to put myself through it and sit in a freaking three-hour conversation of her telling me why my clothes suck, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So then it started to develop more into like understanding Even then, like just the other night, I had this realization. And because we've been going through some things with my dad and his health and all of that, it's been triggering me. And I realized that how it affects me is that I get physically drained for the next like week or so where I'm just totally exhausted. And girls, if you know, it's like you're on your period, your first day, you're just Mm -hmm. exhausted, fatigued. And then I noticed that I wake up with really high anxiety where I almost wake up gasping for air. Like I can't take deep breaths. This has happened. Remember? I know. I remember. I realized that that's because growing up, my mom used to just bust in through the door when I'm sleeping and start yelling and criticizing me. And I think I have this association with family and family trauma and all of that Mm. that affects my body physically in that way. So even picking up on that, I'm learning more and more how to listen to my own body, my mind, my soul, and giving it what it needs. So that's been like a lot of tools of the breathing technique, being able to self-soothe, hear what my inner child needs. So at the time, I'll just hold myself and I'll be like, you're okay, you're safe. Mm-hmm. Jack's outside, Coco's here, your body right now. I know your brain is interpreting that this is really scary, fight or flight type of response, but you right now in the present moment, you're safe. Staying in the present moment mm-hmm. is a huge key. That's actually what I've been practicing more and more where anytime I just catch myself, my brain going to the past or anything and I start thinking, which I tend to spiral. Catching that already Mm. is a skill 
And then in that, I'll be like present moment. And when I present moment it, everything just kind of makes sense. Because if this moment is all that you have mm. and tomorrow's not guaranteed, what would you do? What makes sense to you? And also, as you ground yourself in your truth, understanding your values, then you let yourself guide yourself. You start developing the skill of trusting yourself, your instincts mm. versus pushing the side and doing what you're supposed to do. I'm doing air quotes, supposed to do because that's what you've been taught. Mm -hmm. Another thing is having a strong support system that mm. makes the biggest difference yeah. on this journey. So whether that's with friends, life coaching, therapy, just having a space, like Jack said, that's safe, that you can be vulnerable, you can learn how to be vulnerable. Being vulnerable is something that you learn and you practice that. So you can have a nurturing space. Like people that have a higher EQ, mm. that's not gonna project their own experiences or advice onto you. You can hear yourself, you can process, you can unload as you're developing your own self-awareness and healing. So that you can slowly build up this place where you have a true connection and that it makes you feel seen, heard and loved just as you are bringing it back to when we we're a kid yeah. healing that part of ourselves where we felt we had to be all these other things where insert mask with whoever it is you start shedding old parts of yourself throwing away the mask because it's okay you feel safe and trusted to be yourself within yourself yeah you feel lovable and worthy by just being yourself yeah yeah just being yourself and you are worthy that is what we all want. And I think the misalignment and the fog and the seeking clarity in that is the connection between what mind, body and, and spirit. And that's where we get misaligned. Because if you have an environment or trauma, trauma based environment, then this is all disconnected. And in that disconnection, sometimes your body gets affected more, sometimes your spirit gets affected more, sometimes your mind or all of it above and then you're in that state and it leads to depression a lot of the times everything is in that fog as we like to say in in depression it feels like a fog it feels like you can't see through the fog or feel through the fog well it, it can be depression or it can lead to a whole host of mental health related problems as well as physical exactly problems. and that's what is hard it's hard to actually sum this all up because it really is just a process of building. When we try to describe a process of building, each personal journey has its own intricate ways of building to that final space of just being you, you are loved. And for you and I, our journey sometimes is similar, but most of the time it's not. But as Asians, I think we have a baseline understanding of culturally and environmentally where we all can kind of um, connect and subtle Asian mental health is a exact perfect explanation or example that all the stuff that's posted on there I can relate to a lot of family trauma in there and that's kind mm -hmm. of the beautiful thing that can connect us in this episode even but the journey it, you don't have to get there right away and there's going to be all these little victories along the way and being present is understanding those little victories nothing is ever as grand as it seems. It's all the little victories that add up to being you. And that's what I've learned the most. Like you said, seek resources. That's part of building, whether it's finding the best group of friends or that's a safe space or finding a therapist that really can connect you to understanding these concepts or finding a life coach that can lift you to achieving your goals, which is getting to a healthier mindset. 
these are all building blocks. And these are all choices that when you start making, empower you to become even more you and loved. And that's that's kind of my like my sum it up thing as if we can sum up family trauma because we can't i'm I'm sure this will be an ongoing conversation because i mean we're still just all learning as we go too you Mm -hmm. know and if you're asian american and this resonates with you there's a reason why because we happen to be this group of people that our parents immigrated here there's a language and cultural barrier Mm -hmm. and we're here trying to be the bridge of both western and eastern cultures there's no blueprint for this this is why it's like a lot of trial and error but it's not about getting it wrong it's just more information all of this is information for us to dissect and process and with a professional whether therapist or a life coach or a counselor can help you better understand that information So that's why I highly, highly encourage, if you take anything away from this episode, Mm -hmm. talk, get it out. If you are not comfortable yet talking to anybody, write it down, journal. Mm -hmm. I know that's all so cliche and all that, but it's a reason why everyone says it because it actually works Uh, and you got to be consistent at it. I'm going to say that it's not cliche, especially speaking from a male perspective. I never journaled before and I never understood the depths of the things that were going on in my mind. And when I started writing them down and put them on paper, I realized, holy crap, I'm thinking all these things and I'm thinking them a lot. And when I put it on paper, I was like, whoa, if I can shift some of these things that I'm thinking, that's already a game changer in my life. Yes. Right. And I think especially as guys, you just think, what do you mean? I don't have, I don't, I'm not thinking anything. That's the go-to answer. No, you're like, thinking. You're definitely you're thinking. thinking. <laughs> you know where the thoughts, where they lie? In the dark side yes, of where yes. men hide all this stuff. Exactly. It's like your skeleton and bones of stuff mm-hmm. that you feel so much guilt and shame for and that you're like, oh, if I ever let it out, oh my God, the monster is going to come out. This is why I'm a lone wolf and I suffer by myself. No. <laughs> Honestly, we women have it too. Human beings, we're complex human beings. It's normal. And I want to say this before we close this episode out, that you have been that safe space for me. And it's taken time to develop. It's not that we just got together, we fell in love, and that safe space developed just out of nowhere. We've had to go through a lot of things to develop the safe space with each other. And it's still ongoing. We're still learning the language of creating this environment for ourselves with the backdrop of our families. And it's a beautiful thing once you can start to see these things take form, not just in a romantic relationship, but in your friendships, in even the small little things that change within your family, with your siblings, with your parents even. Glimmers of that safe space because you have grown. And I know as a life coach, you know, like I I do want you to share like how to find you because as we said, if you can get to the point that you can have a dialogue with somebody else, somebody who has experience in this space or you can connect to. It's super important because I did that and it took a lot for me to get there, to share these deep, dark things, as you said, men carry with somebody and especially a professional, you know? Yeah, a million percent. I mean, I work with a lot of Asian clients actually from all over the world Mm. and 
I will tell you that you're not alone in this.、Mm. You can read about some of their testimonies on my website, xoxochristine.com. You can follow me on my Instagram at xoxochristinechen, and you hear it for yourself. I mean, even for myself,、yeah. just the journey and being able to talk about it, have a better understanding. What does it even mean? You can be loved and worthy just by being、mm. you. Who are you? I know. A lot of times we start there. Who are you?、Mm-hmm. And there's tools, there's mechanisms, there's ways to go about that. And especially as a life coach, this is about a partnership, accountability. So a lot of times when we say, "Oh, we're gonna journal," we don't journal, you know,、mm-hmm. or even your more tangible goals. All of that, your tangible goals. I want a better job, or I want to get a house. I want to、yeah. find a wife or a husband. So much of that is tied to all these things that we're talking about. So a lot of that is unpacking your limited beliefs that you may not even know that you have.、Mm. So you start to expand, and that's what I do for a living. My job is to create a safe space for you, for you to better understand yourself. Who is that person now? Who were you before? Why were you like that? What are some tools that you can keep using to reflect, to ground yourself when you need encouragement? I am the best cheerleader. I yeah, seriously am. Every、really、single、are. client, every session, at the end of it, always say, "I always feel so much better after our session." I'm gonna own that because because、mm-hmm. I hear you. No, it's not you. You're not crazy. That's valid.、Yeah. But what are we gonna do about it, right?、Mm-hmm. And we'll go at your pace. So all of that, you can go on my website. If any of this resonates, you can just fill out the contact form for a complimentary call,、mm-hmm. and you get to see for yourself: is this right for me? You get to ask me all the questions that you have, or if you want to go see a therapist or talk to other life coaches, please. That's the perfect place to start, and I commend you so much for even thinking beyond just being a zombie and accepting everything as it is because you feel like you have to. Because when we suppress things, essentially we're being a zombie. We're just walking around.、Yeah. If you want just more in your life and just feel you whole, build, start building、mm-hmm. that confidence and trust within yourself, and start sharing that light and creating the impact that I know that a lot of you guys always say that you want. It starts with you. Yeah, you are listening to this. We are on this journey and on this episode, this podcast for a reason. Every book that I've read, every podcast that you've shared when we're hanging out at home about self development, about growing, about healing, there's a reason for that. And you who are listening to this, there is a reason for it. To embrace that reason and find more like resources or more knowledge, that's just the beauty of it. And I hope this episode finds you well. And I'll link all the socials below. And thank you, Christine, for having this very difficult conversation. I was actually really nervous about it, as I am usually nervous about a lot of episodes, especially with this one. But you have given me the safe space. As he's saying that, he's like consistently running his hands through、yeah. his hair like a crazy person. Family drama. <sighs> I mean, it's pretty late. It's like. <laughs> It's midnight. <laughs> We've been recording for a really long time, but I'm always so honored to be here. I'm so proud of you, the, your listeners, and even just being in this place and time to be able to have this type of conversation、yeah. and dialogue and put it out into the universe and just feel connected. I think that's what we all genuinely want as human beings: is just connection. So yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and I can say without a doubt. At this ripe age of 37, right now, I've never felt more connected in my life. Just to you, to the people listening, to the world, <laughs> my even my family, in all its glory and 
horror. <laughs> so I hope this episode finds you well. And you know, it's almost the end of the year. And Merry, so Merry Christmas. Bye. Bye bye.